Welcome, and thanks so much for joining us on another edition of Ask the Experts. This Saturday, we welcome back Faisal Suziwala, Canada's top real estate agent from REMAX Twin City Realty. Faisal, good to see you. Great to see you again, David. How are you? I'm doing well. I hope you are as well. Uh, you're usually a very busy guy. Yes, I'm doing well. Good. Uh, if you'd like to get in touch with Faisal, here's how you do it. You can always give him a call, 519-624-5555. Or you can go online to his website, easy to remember, homeshack.com. As we start things off this Saturday, uh, Faisal, for folks who haven't uh, seen you around the region or haven't heard you on the show, tell us a bit about yourself. So I'm a realtor in uh, the Cambridge, Kitchener-Waterloo area, mostly a region of Waterloo, and uh, I've been practicing real estate for just over 32 years now and uh, loving what I do, helping people uh, purchase their homes and sell their homes in the region. Uh, I think you left out one important thing. You, you are also, of course, uh, a noted author now. Uh, Faisal has a book out called The Real Deal a billion dollar real estate broker and uh, it's been doing very well and you can get your copy uh, whether you want to read the book or listen to an audio book you can go to amazon.ca and pick that up uh, we'll as we usually do we'll probably talk a little bit about the book later on in the show let's start things off though by uh, seeing what's going on in the real estate market currently well we've had a very strong start to the year uh january and february were again banner months. Uh, sales were an all-time high. Of course, inventory was at an all-time low. The average price of a home in the region is over a million dollars now, which again, it's uh, astonishing to, to see those numbers that are there. Um, and, and mainly, as we've talked in the past, it's uh, because of the lack of inventory and the huge demand, not only locally, but from um, our neighbors to the east, namely GTA. Now, interesting things that have been happening the last uh, week, week and a half, as we all are very well aware of the sad events happening in uh, Ukraine, um, that has caused an interesting um, adjustment, let's call it, more psychological than anything else, where people have decided to somewhat take a pause. And I'm talking about buyers for that matter, because the, I guess the unintended consequences of what's happening there, it has a ripple effect throughout the world. So things like, you know, gas prices are going up as a as a result of the reserves and 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 the bans that are happening now when gas prices went up 20 25% people from toronto milton mississauga that would normally want to commute into the region are now thinking twice and saying well if we're going to add approximately 3 or 400 dollars a month to our gas bill for the commute should we be looking further east maybe towards milton or mississauga as opposed to coming westward the region of Waterloo. Um, but not only that, the other impact has been the stock market. So people who had their savings and their funds uh, locked up in, say, GICs or um, mutual funds or stock market, uh, they've seen a decline 20, 25% in the stock market over the last couple of weeks. So that's had a negative impact. Then you add the interest rate 
that went up last week by a quarter percent. Now, that impact isn't that great. It's about $25 per $100,000 for borrowing power. Interesting number there is that, okay, the average mortgage might be, let's say, seven or $800,000. So if you're going to add another you know, three or $400 a month to your mortgage payment, plus the gas payment uh, for your fuel, you know, now you're up five, six, $700 more per month than you had originally anticipated. And that might have a negative impact. The tendency in the market is when there's any sort of change or any sort of bad news, uh, people hit the pause button. And we saw viewings decline by about 50% last week. And I also reached out to my colleagues in the GTA market to say, okay, what are you guys seeing there? And it's interesting, bidding wars have uh, really slowed down. Uh, prices have not come down, but the activity has slowed down. The silver lining here is that it's an opportunity for buyers to now come in and maybe be able to buy with a little bit more thought uh, and possibly not bid beyond what they had anticipating having to bid to buy a home. So there is a little bit of an adjustment happening. I don't think it's going to be long term. I believe it's going to be short lived. Uh, I know buyers have faced a lot of buyer fatigue, we like to call it. They're just tired of, you know, making offers and losing. But I think if you can hang in there right now, uh, inventory is going to start increasing and the opportunities are going to be there to perhaps get a little bit better price on the home than you had thought you might have to pay for it. Let's talk a little bit more about the interest rate hike that happened and whether you foresee them doing that, you know, again, is the interest rate going to go up even further later in the year? Yeah, so I think there's going to be uh, another jump in June. Uh, we could expect another half a percent. Now, remember, we have been really spoiled over the last couple of years. One point, you know, 1.25, 1.5% on a variable, 2.2, 2.5 on a fixed. Those are just incredibly low rates. Um, my first mortgage was at 13.5%. So when I look at these numbers, now, mind you, when you look at uh, prices, they are you know, significantly higher. So your borrowing, uh, your debt service is still at a high rate. Your monthly payments are still at a pretty high rate, but it is an adjustment. And when interest rates start going up, uh, people will start having second thoughts and their affordability starts going down. And I don't expect the prices to come down because I have maintained that I do not believe we're in a bubble, that we have just caught up to where we should have been. But that kind of growth that we've been seeing, like five, seven, 10% per month, that's not sustainable. And we're going to see that flattening out. Uh, I certainly don't expect the prices to decline, but we probably won't see those overbids happening to the extent that we have up to now. So obviously uh, it's going to slow things down a little bit more than that you've already said that they've been slowing. Um, I think there's going, this is the calm before the storm, if anything, there, there's going to be impacts. And, you know, if another half percent goes up in June or July, uh, remember, people get pre-approval. So they've got 90 days, sort of a 90 day runway to qualify for the home and have that rate fixed in. So there will be a surge anytime that there's a rate hike expected, there is a surge in the market. So I'm going to safely say that April, May and June are going to be very, very, very strong months for sellers to put their home on the market. 
Um, but in between those times, like right now, this week, this is a great week to be a buyer, to go out there because the multiple offers have slowed down. The level of inventory has increased. The number of days on market has increased. So those are that's the perfect sort of recipe for someone to be able to come to the market and feel that they're not going to overpay for a home. So this is certainly a good time to speak to your agent. And if you're a buyer, you know, don't give up now because there is an opportunity to enter the market. I saw an article the other day saying that the interest rate, rate hikes have gotten some homeowners panicked, that their, their mortgage payments are going to go too high. How much has it really affected affordability? Well, it, you know, like I said earlier, it's $25 per hundred thousand. So, you know, it, it does affect. So on a $500,000 mortgage, that's $125 more a month than you would have paid two weeks ago. Now you add another fifth, five, uh, half a percent to that, that's going to get up to, let's say, $75 more per hundred thousand. And if you've got a $500,000 mortgage there, you know, let's do the math, it's probably three, $400 more per month. But there's a compounding effect of what's happening here. You've got gas prices up, you've got stock market going down, you've got um, interest rates anticipated to increase. So all of that has caused more of a uh, consumer confidence issue to say, is this the right time? Should I be purchasing? And by the same token, the sellers are saying, hang on, my neighbor just got X amount of dollars for their home two weeks ago, and their home wasn't nearly as nice as ours. Why are you not getting me the same price or better for my, that my neighbor got? But we didn't anticipate this war. We didn't anticipate gas prices to jump 20, 25%. We did anticipate interest rates to go up. And I still, and I've said this all along, interest rates could probably go up a 1%. But if everything else stays intact, if gas prices level off, if this Russian-Ukraine situation calms down, if the stock market comes back up, consumer confidence will come back into the market and we're going to see that surge again. Because we know for a fact that we have a housing crisis. We know for a fact there's a 1.5 million home shortage in Canada. And we know for a fact that half a million homes are still needed in Ontario. That's, that's incredible. So where are these people going to live? So it does not matter what's happening. There's still going to be a housing crisis and that will still prevail at the end of the day. People are going to be back into the market looking at buying a home. But take these opportunities when the market is, is retracting a little bit to get into the market if you're a buyer. My guest this hour on Ask the Experts, we're speaking with Faisal Suziwala of REMAX Twin City Realty. Get in touch, give him a call at 519-624-5555 or learn more online at homeshack.com. Thanks for joining us on Ask the Experts. Faisal Suziwala is my guest of REMAX Twin City Realty, Canada's number one real estate agent. Learn more online at homeshack.com or call him at 519-624-5555. So uh, Doug Ford was in the region last week to talk about the Ontario Housing Action Plan. And uh, since that visit, I've been wondering what your thoughts are. Faisal, what do, you, what do you think of the plan? Well, I think the plan, the idea of the plan is great. And that plan was introduced back in May of 2019. And then, of course, 
you know, COVID happened and there was this upheaval in, 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 in our communities and this housing crisis continued to become a bigger crisis. Uh, the plan was to cut the red tape to allow, um, you know, builders, developers to, to get housing into the market a lot quicker, make housing more affordable, help taxpayers, you know, save some more money, um, you know, cutting costs, uh, infrastructure. So there was a, an extensive plan that was revealed. And it, it, for, for those listeners, and I'll have it on my website as well and on the podcast, uh, Ontario.ca slash uh, more homes is the website and you can download it. It's a beautifully put together about a 15 page colorful brochure on the housing plan um, that you can see what the minister had proposed. But this housing plan that was proposed, it hasn't been executed. And what has been executed has been executed very poorly. So, you know, you know, I could go on to a little bit of a rant about all the things that have gone wrong. Um, I understand, I'm sensitive to the fact that yes, we've had COVID, yes, we've had municipal um, workers and whatnot working from home, but there is such a disconnect between what the housing plan had outlined and what is actually happening in our communities. So everything that was, you know, supposed to happen, like the affordable housing, cutting the red tape, bringing permits to market quickly, allowing infill lots, um, creating that infrastructure, it just seems like it was all out there, but it didn't actually get to be executed into the market. And that's where we're finding that. And, and I was talking earlier about the Golden Horseshoe. So that is from, you know, Toronto to Collingwood, uh, through Wellington County, uh, Region of Waterloo, Brantford, right up to Niagara. 25% of Canada's population resides in that area. And it's that density that needs to increase on housing in order to facilitate the growth of population. And they're saying, you know, we don't have, like they're, they're, they're issuing between 30 to 35,000 permits per year in Ontario. And if we have a 500,000 home shortage, how many years will it take until we're in balance for that? So this is, this is the big crisis that we're dealing with right now. And there's a lot of what has gone wrong why it has gone wrong, but how to resolve this issue has not been addressed. And I've gone through this housing plan and it just continues to talk about all the things, the speed in which permits are and paperwork is processed, the cost, the layer of permits, the mixed uses, the high density, the different types of uses. And then we have this issue with, you know, we, uh, the slang is NIMBY, uh, N-I-M-B-Y, not in my backyard. So we've got this mentality that we don't want certain types of development, mixed use, multi-level, uh, mid-rises, stacked town homes. I don't want that in my backyard. That's the mentality that we're trying to get over. And if everybody says, I don't want that in my backyard, we're always at a roadblock. And we're finding that the province's mandate is to get these things approved. But the municipal at the municipal level, due to whatever pressure the municipal councillors and, and staff are facing, 
um, we're just not being able to see any results. So there is a massive disconnect between what is supposed to happen, what's outlined in the plan, and what has actually gone on. In fact, I think it's gone the other way. There's roadblocks, there's higher costs. There are, I can't remember, something like 10,000 homes that were supposed to be approved that are still in the pipeline. And some developers have been waiting as long as seven years to get in front of the tribunal and, and, and to get approvals in there as well. So there's a lot of issues that we're facing. One of the main mandates of the housing plan was to free up provincially owned land. And I don't see that. I'm in the business. I've seen municipal land come up, provincial land, but for whatever reason, it's been withdrawn. There are parcels of land in our region that were for sale. And for whatever reason, um, those lands have now been stopped from being marketed. And when I see the prices that they're asking, no developer in the right mind is going to pay that kind of money. Well, that's a problem. So, uh, maybe we should go through the major points of the plan. You say that is one of the biggest problems. Let's go through the other points and you you can point out where the plan is failing. Right. So they're, they're talking about creating, zoning, creating, or providing land in some cases to build Ontario homes. Well, where is that land? And where are those permits? And where are the, where is the line here where they're saying, okay, we are going to give zoning. We're going to allow um, zoning amendments. We're going to give infill lots. We're going to create higher density. We're going to allow certain zones to have in-law suites, apartments, additions, tiny homes, which I know that Kitchener's been very proactive in doing that. I know that Cambridge is also looking at that, but cost-effective building. So their idea was to use renewable resources, but look at the price of wood right now. You know, a two by four stud that used to be $3 a stud is now $10 per stud. So we're talking over three times. So while these permits are in the pipeline, cost of material has gone up significantly, which is making things prohibitive. They also talked about uh, making developers and builders more accountable so that they can't back out. And we've talked about this on a previous show where builders had sold um, homes to people at a certain price point and then for whatever reason they're now giving them their deposits back and saying we're sorry but we can't and of course I understand if they're if they're a builder or a developer if their cost has tripled and they have promised at a certain price they're looking at and saying well this is no longer viable for us to do so we're either going to go belly up or we're going to give you your money back and we can't produce what we thought we could produce for you um, the other issue is more choices for renters. And they talk about how they've taken away rent control for um, new units, but rent control was taken away a long time ago. So that's nothing really new. If a tenant moves out of your property today, you can charge the next tenant whatever you want. So I'm not sure how they're saying that they've created a little bit more balance and a little bit more affordability for renters because the next um, tenant will pay market rent or probably above market rent because there's lack of inventory in the marketplace. Um, I just don't see a lot. What I do see is they have invested in inf infrastructure. So we're talking roads, we're talking widening, we're talking bridges, uh, bypass routes. So that's a positive. They're improving the transportation network, which was in their plan, which is a positive. Um, but they have not done enough 
to create more housing and take away the red tape. Well, perhaps we can discuss that a bit more when we come back. We have to take another short break. My guest, Faisal Suzuwala of Remax Twin City Realty, online at homeshack.com, or you can always give him a call at 519-624-5555. Thanks for joining us on Ask the Experts. Faisal Suzuwala is my guest. Faisal is with Remax Twin City Realty and is Canada's top real estate agent. You can learn more, just give them a call at 519-624-5555 or go online to homeshack.com. If you're just joining us before the break, we were talking about uh, Doug Ford's uh, Ontario Housing Action Plan and where we are with that. And Faisal, you were saying that uh, on paper, the plan looks really, really good. But as so, uh, so often happens with government plans, the actual, you know, what's laid out on the paper and what actually happens are vastly different. So let's talk a little bit more about that then. What, what the plan actually said and what's actually happening and, and what really is causing the crisis. So back in 2019, in May of 2019, you know, the plan came out and they had this beautiful chart about what, the crisis is all about. So, you know, if we look at what they said in 2019 and compare it to what has happened now, they said home prices and rents in many large and mid-sized cities have risen faster than incomes. Okay, that's a fact. At that time, in 2019, it was said that 83% of buyers can't afford an average resale home. So if we're talking about region of Waterloo, at that time, the valuation in region of Waterloo was around $600,000 for the average home. Now it's over a million dollars. So if 83% of people couldn't afford uh, an average price of $600,000, just imagine what in 2022 at a million dollars, is it 83%? I would say that's probably 95% of people can't afford an average home. Like this is first time home buyers coming into the market today. Back in 2019, the big fuss was, my goodness, resale home prices are up between eight to 9%. So this is interesting. Eight to 9% was something that they felt was a crisis. We are up 60%. We're up over 50% than what they had anticipated back in 2019. Rental prices in 2019, the crisis was that the rent prices have gone up 10 to 15%. Well, guess what? Rent prices have followed the real estate market. So it's up 50 to 60% over the last two years. And back then in 2019, it said that 56% of renters can't afford an average two-bedroom apartment. At that time, the average two-bedroom apartment was $1,300 per month. Today, an average two-bedroom apartment is upwards of $1,800 per month. So that is telling us right there the disconnect again. And what they had anticipated and what was a crisis in 2019 is a even larger it's critical now that these numbers don't even make sense that they were they were introducing. Um, they said that less than 7% of the new housing built in the past 20 years was intended for rentals. So only less than 7% of new housing was intended. So that is a problem that's contributing to the lack of rental units and to the cost of that rental units. Um, and they said that uh, it would take 10 years to catch up to the amount of rental units needed in the GTA alone. 10 years. 
So when you look at those numbers, that just doesn't make sense. And then the other issue on top of that is that it, on average, it was taking in 2019, it was taking two years for a site plan approval for a new building or any major renovations. So that's just so lengthy. That timeline is so lengthy that it becomes prohibitive. So what one anticipates they're going to pay for a repair, or sorry, for a renovation or a construction or a development, by the time they actually get the shovel in the ground, costs have gone up, development charges have gone on, have gone up, permit fees have gone up, labor costs have gone up, material costs have just skyrocketed. So all of this is going to continue contributing to this crisis. And you know when they talk about using wood and renewable resources, well, the cost of those materials have again skyrocketed and they're three to four times what they used to be back in 2019. So this is all uh, lending into why we're having such a crisis in the housing market today. All right, next logical question then, what in your opinion is the solution here? How, how do we catch up faster? Well, it's, it has to start at the municipal level needs to align with the provincial mandates. So you can't have the province saying, okay, this is what we need. We need to, we need to cut red tape. We need to get these permits out faster. We need to get you know, more, more hands on these files so that things can get done. We can't have stuff stuck in the pipeline. So that's the provincial mandate. The municipalities are saying, well, you know, we only have limited resources where there's only so much we can do. We only have so, so much manpower and we've got to go through the process. We've got to go through, there's got to be almost like a, a, a zoning reform where it's a blanket that, okay, if you have a certain type of zoning, you don't have to go through all those steps to get to a point. And that two years is ridiculous. It needs to be clawed back to six months. Now, I know that uh, the premier had talked about uh, putting more money into municipalities' hands so that they can um, process quicker, have more manpower. But the number was something like $1.5 million. That's not a lot of money when you look at the scale of this crisis and what needs to be done. So I think there has to be a lot more um, maybe federal support that needs to come in here, especially in the Golden Horseshoe. Because as I mentioned earlier on in the show, 25% of Canada's population is concentrated in the Golden Horseshoe, which we are a part of. So it goes from Toronto to region of Waterloo to Wellington, uh, Brantford, and up to Niagara. So that is the Golden Horseshoe where 25% of Canada's population now resides. And that's where most of the need is. So again, I don't know what the distribution of that funding will be, but it's certainly $1.5 million is not going to put a dent in processing this um, uh, permits and, and what we need to do to get, get things moving along, especially in our communities. As we mentioned on past shows, uh, Canada has a fairly progressive plan for having, uh, you know, immigrants come to the country. And you've mentioned that, you know, we are seeing a lot of them coming in and they do have money, but do they have over $1 million for a new house? The immigrants of today that are coming in are coming in with a significant amount of capital. Uh, I believe that um, there's requirements for someone to immigrate into Canada. And if they don't have the resources, because again, you know, we can't have population growth, immigration, and then have it taxed on 
you know, the health service and, 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 and welfare and whatnot. So people have to be self-sufficient, or at least they have to be sponsored where they're not going to be a burden on the government. So again, I, I'm not a specialist on immigration by any means, and I certainly don't know that aspect of it, but I would expect that there's got to be a lot of due diligence that's going on uh, in, in ensuring that folks that are coming into this country are coming in with some financial resources that they can. And I don't, I don't see a lot, and I do sell a lot of homes to, to, to foreign, uh, I shouldn't say they're foreign anymore because they are landed immigrants. Um, and typically they're, they're putting in significant amount of down payments. And remember, there's also, also multi-generational multi living going on where people are, you know, mom and dad are moving in with son and daughter and, and, and extended family because that's another way of uh, affordability. So, you know, talking about solutions, um, allowing building permits quickly for basement apartments, for additions, for tiny homes, and not getting too caught up in the red tape of, okay, obviously it has to be engineered, it has to be safe, it has to have, you know, it's got to conform. But passing those things through the pipeline faster is going to create uh, housing, which is going to take away a little bit. But again, like we said, there's 30 to 35,000 permits being issued in Ontario every year, and we're short 500,000 500, homes right now. And, and that's one of the things that is causing a lot of young people to more and more, I'm hearing them actually say the words, I will never afford a home. And, and that's, that, that is very, uh, you know, disheartening for them. Are we going to get to a point where the average person can buy a home again? You said eight, you know, at least 85% people don't think they can. And, and this, is, this is the biggest challenge right now is that the income levels are not at the, at the affordability of the housing. So, and, and we've talked about this in past shows that, in the, you know, in the early 80s, the average price of a home in the region of Waterloo was around $70,000, $75,000. And the average household income was around $40,000. Today, so that was, let's call it one to two or one and a half to two um, at that time. Today, the average home is $1 million and the average household income is just under $100,000. So you have to have 10 times. So what will happen is this generation will have mortgages for a longer term. Whereas, you know, our parents were working hard at higher interest rates, at lower prices, but their idea was let's get this mortgage paid, it paid off very quickly. Now it's like, you know, if you've got a 25 year amortization, chances are it's gonna take you the full 25 years to pay off that mortgage. And remember, the other issue that we're having is, and I've talked about this on other podcasts as well that I have, that the generation today is a spending generation. It's not a saving generation, and it's a minimum payment generation. And I don't mean any disrespect to anybody that is of this generation. Um, and I grew up in this generation as well, but we came from a background where the parents said, like, if you don't have the cash, you don't buy. It. So you save up and then you buy that is impossible to do today. You can't, like inflation takes your money away quicker than what you can save up. So you cannot have a situation where you can say, you know what, I'm gonna to try to save up enough money so I can buy a house with cash or I can buy a car with cash. So everything has now become a minimum payment. Rarely does someone say to me, I wanna buy a home for $1.2 million or $1 million or $800,000. What they're saying to me is I can spend $2,500 a month 
or $2,800 a month. What will that $2,800 per month afford me? And that's the same thing. You know, when you're buying a car today, you're not looking at is that, what's the sticker price. So that car might be $70,000 or $50,000, but you're looking at $399 every two weeks or $299 every two weeks or $499 per month. And that's the payment that you're buying. Not even thinking about what the actual purchase price of that car is going to be. So that is the transition, the shift that has happened in society today, that people are buying based on minimum payment and not really calculating how long it's going to take them and what the actual cost of that's going to be. But they don't really have a choice. We don't have a choice today because the affordability doesn't exist anymore. So then Faisal, for folks who still want to be first time home buyers, what should they be doing now to prepare themselves? The first time home buyers today are going to have to get creative. They're going to have to possibly partner. They're going to have to set their eyes on different types of properties, and I've talked about this on the past show, that, you know, don't imagine yourself living in that, you know, beautiful little bungalow with a white picket fence as your first home anymore. You might have to buy a duplex, which has a rental apartment upstairs or downstairs, but you know what? It gets your foot in the door, and that extra income will go towards your carrying costs. So if you could only afford $2,500 a month and you've got an extra $1,000 a month coming from an auxiliary apartment, that will help you carry your mortgage. So that's outside of the box thinking and start early and find whether it's your parents, your friends, your, your family, anyone you can. If you can't purchase it on your own, have somebody join you, partner with you. I, and I talk about this in my book quite extensively that in my earlier days, I was 18, 19 years old. I partnered up with a couple of friends and we bought a property. Look at the option of, you know, vendor takebacks where someone's selling their property, but they're willing to loan you back the amount of mortgage or maybe part of the down payment and you can pay them off slowly. So there's different options that are available. There are rent to own options available where you're buying a property over a longer term and you but be very careful on those rent to own and have a lawyer or your mortgage broker or your realtor really scrutinize that because you don't want to get caught up in a situation where you have an open-ended rent to own where that price is not fixed. You want to know what the end value of that purchase is going to be. And there's a lot of information online on that type of thing. And certainly you can reach out to me to ask me questions, but rent to own can be a, a double-edged sword. So you've got to be very careful if you're entering into a rent to own, rent to own agreement to make sure that your down payment does not get lost and that your monthly contributions are actually being applied to your down payment. My guest this hour on Ask the Experts for speaking with Faisal Suziwala of Remax Twin City Realty. If you would like to reach out to him and get more information, just pick up your phone and dial 519-624-5555 or go online to homeshack.com. Thanks for joining us. I'm Dave Callender. My guest, Faisal Suziwala of Remax Twin City Realty, Canada's top real estate agent. And you can find out more online. Just go to homeshack.com or call him anytime at 519-624-5555. Uh, our topic today, mostly we've been talking about the Ontario uh, Housing Action Plan. And uh, the lingering question, Faisal, is still how do we create affordable housing through new developments when the cost of materials is, is through the roof? This is going to come down to 
somewhat of a partnership with municipalities. And developers need to develop responsibly and need to look at what the needs of each community is. Municipalities need to enforce that somewhat. And the way to do that is to give perhaps exemptions on development charges because development charges can be very, very prohibitive for a developer and relax some of the requirements like parking requirements. So what I mean by that is if there's, let's say a hundred unit apartment building or a tower going up in your community, if 20% of that building or 15% of that building can be allocated to the community that needs it as far as seniors, because we've got an aging population right now and we're going to need senior or assisted living or retirement lodges or nursing homes. And there again, there just isn't enough infrastructure out there to house all of these people. So any new development, if that, and there are, there are mandates out there for this, it's just, it's not being followed the way it should. So if 15 or 20% of those units can be allocated to um, affordable housing, be it for seniors, whatever it may be, people who don't require vehicles, have them on, especially in our region, along the LRT, create more of that public transit, but relax the requirements so you can have more units on that parcel of land, but not have the requirement to have parking and also relax the fees, the building permit fees, the development charges, um, all of that can, can now give an incentive to a builder or a developer to create that affordable housing. And, possibly even some grants so that it can subsidize the cost of building that unit. Because at the end of the day, it's going to become a, a housing issue that the government's gonna have to deal with for those who are sensitive and, and need, need, need help and assistance. It sounds like a good idea to me, but how likely are the municipalities to go along with something like that? The municipalities are actually trying to introduce and mandate this. The province has also mandated, and they're saying, you know, that that should that should be part of any development project now. But it is just very difficult for a builder or developer. You know, the municipality can't say we want you to give us twenty percent of the building needs to be for affordable housing. But by the way, you got to give us one and a half parking spots for each of those units. By the way, we're still going to charge you the full development charges. We're still going to charge you permit fees. We're still going to put you through this whole process. So what developer or builder is going to say, oh, okay, I'm going to do that. So if there's an incentive for that developer, or if there are, if there are ex excess lands that the municipality can say, listen, we'll let you do your development here but we want you to develop or build for us on our additional land that we're trying to get rid of that has been seen. And apparently there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of acres of provincially and municipally owned land that just hasn't come down the pipeline. So that, that can solve this housing crisis very quickly, but then get it through and, and give that builder the incentive to build on that land, maybe partner with them, do a co-op, some sort of, um, advantage has to be there for both parties and it's got to be a win-win but I, I believe that that will create um, a little bit of a, of a dent in this uh, crisis. We focus this hour on what the province is doing 
What's going on uh, federally? What's the federal government doing, if anything, to to help this housing crisis? Well, you know, other than election promises, I'm not sure. And and what we've seen, what we've seen is there's a lot of like even when I read through this housing plan, this uh, it was interesting because they keep talking about how they inherited this problem. So again, that's a political statement in the plan is that they inherited this problem. But when I read through the plan, I saw a lot of what the problem was and why we have this problem, but I saw very little in what the solution to that problem is. So it, I think it needs to come federally. There has to be more funding. And again, um, I've said this a couple of times in the last hour here that the focus has to be in those municipalities that need it. So if you're, if you're 25% of your population is in Ontario or in the Golden Horseshoe, you can't spread that money out equally. You've got to give 25% of the funding to those regions that need it, where there is uh, high density and intensification and immigration and the needs are there. Because if we don't do that, we're gonna have a bigger challenge moving forward. And uh, finally, as we finish up the show today, we've got a couple minutes left. I'd like to ask you about uh, the trip you took last week. Apparently you were in Vegas for the Remax International Conference. Uh, tell us a bit about that. And I also understand you, uh, you won a few awards. Well, thanks. Yes, I. Um, well, it was it was nice for me to get away. It was my first trip in about two and a half years, so it was nice to get away. And I'll tell you, it, it didn't appear that Vegas had any COVID, ever. Uh, you know, people were walking around maskless and um, just having the time of their lives. And it, it's interesting. It was hard to sort of climatize to an environment where, you know, nobody had any boundaries for whatever reason. But I was being very cautious because I didn't want to be stuck there longer than I had to. Um, but yeah, I was uh, very pleased to learn that uh, I, I was awarded a top selling agent in Canada for Remax, uh, most homes sold again this year for Remax and ranked out uh, number two in the world for the number of homes and uh, sales volume as well. Well, congratulations on that. We we need to find out who number one was and take them out next year. <laughs> I did. I found out he's a gentleman in Beverly Hills, and his average home that he's selling is seven million. So uh, let's just hope our region doesn't get to seven million for the average home. I I can completely agree with you on that. And finally, if you'd like to get a copy of Faisal's book, we talked about it briefly earlier on. The book's called Real Deal: Billion Dollar Real Estate Broker. Uh, it's a great read, and uh, especially for folks who are looking to get into real estate, some really good advice. That's available on Amazon.ca as both a book and an audiobook. Faisal, thank you so much for being with us once again. Always a pleasure, David. Thanks for having me on. If you'd like to get more information from Faisal Suziwala of Remax Twin City Realty, the two best ways to do that, give him a call, 519-624-5555 or fire up your web browser and get more information online, simply go to homeshack.com.